25,000. The number of jobs that would have been created by Amazon over 10 years as part of an agreement to create a second headquarters in Long Island City, Queens. To facilitate the investment, Amazon would have received $2.8 billion in tax incentives and subsidies from New York State and New York City. The jobs would have paid an average of 150000 The deal is not going through. This is our Amazon episode. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CBC. Thanks for joining us here. We've given the Amazon deal collapse a little bit of time to cool, and now we're going to dig into it. We're going to talk about the aspects of the deal and what happened and what went right, what went wrong, and also, though, make sure that we're talking about where we head from here. Where does New York head? What does this mean for the New York economy? What does it mean for being able to attract business to New York? What does New York government need to think about in terms of some of the tax incentives involved or the process involved? A lot of things to discuss here. Now that we've let everybody get their hot take in, we're going to give you the more measured take here and a good conversation with today's guest, and that is Vishan Chakrabarty. He is a professor at Columbia University, and he's a founder at Practice for Architecture and Urbanism, and he also has written some very interesting pieces recently on the Amazon deal. We'll let him talk about that. He also has a background in city government and much more. Welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. So before we pick apart this Amazon deal and talk about uh, New York City moving forward, just tell listeners a little bit about about your background. I gave a very brief introduction. Sure. I'm an architect and urban planner. I did work in city government uh, actually right after 9-11. I was the director of planning for Manhattan. And a lot of what I've been writing about has actually been based on that experience because we tend to sort of look at the city and its problems as they exist today, the crazy housing prices, the congested subways, and those are all really significant problems. But, you know, the city didn't always have that set of problems. It had other problems. When there are downturns, other things happen. You actually hope for a congested subway at that moment (laughs) because things really slow down. And we've had that experience several times in our history. And having a diverse economy is one of the best ways to protect ourselves against the inevitable downturns that are going to come in the kind of economy we have. So you wrote, uh, before this deal collapsed, you wrote about how Amazon and New York City kind of needed each other in some very big ways. Do you want to sort of summarize that argument? Sure. I mean, I wrote a piece in the Times that was a sort of conditionally excited piece, if you will, which is to say, you know, it's really great that any large company wants to come here and create that scale of jobs. And when people, I mean, I think it's important to understand when people are talking about 25,000 jobs, and that's, that's direct jobs, that doesn't include all the multiplier jobs that, you know, other tech companies, pizza places, you know, like the whole, uh, shooting match that comes with a corporate relocation. Um, Just to give you a sense of scale, in the late 70s, when this city had a really bad downturn, we lost about 300,000 jobs. So when people call 25, 40,000 jobs scraps, um, I, you know, with all due respect, I I sort of take issue with that. that. Those aren't scraps. Those are a lot of jobs for a lot of hardworking people. And then the other thing people have said, well, some people have said, well, 
those are high paying jobs. It's going to gentrify. And then other people have said, well, those jobs should be unionized. And I could never figure out which was which, <laughs> right? Because those two things, I mean, like it's, it's, it's not at all clear which thing people were saying. There was never a great, I don't think, breakdown of what the jobs would be and which ones were likely to be possible for and unionization. There's a very good possibility they didn't know yet, mm-hmm. that Amazon right. didn't know yet, that the state and the city didn't know yet. One thing that I think was a telltale factor was that in the national selection criteria that Amazon had, one of the things was truck access. Now, you don't ask for tractor-trailer access if it's just a bunch of coders, mm-hmm. right? Last mm-hmm. I checked, that's not how coders move around. Right. And so that tells you that there are blue-collar as well as white-collar jobs and then, I mean, I think the union issue is a really legitimate question, but the, the question that comes on the heels of that is like, well, are we asking all of the retail competitors to be union? Did someone right. say, you know, Home Depot's in this city, Bed Bath & Beyond is in this city? Did anyone ask that question of them? Right. Let's come back to labor in yeah. a few minutes. But um, so that's a little bit of your thought on why New York City needed Amazon. Why did Amazon need New York City? Clearly the human capital. And I think that is... so. You know, I've noticed in my work, and and we've noticed consistently, what we are slowly seeing is the death of the office park in this country, because most young talent doesn't want to work in an office park. And young talent is, and old talent, you know, I want to include myself, hopefully, (laughs) (laughs) right? Um, But, you know, people... Uh, don't really want to work in those circumstances, by and large. And so what we're seeing is that the tech sector, which was very office park focused when it was born, right, has moved into cities. And if you go visit what Amazon's built in Seattle, if you go look at what's happening, you know, Twitter's moved its headquarters to San Francisco, you know, all of the Google employees that now exist in New York City, It's because people want to be around the energy and the vitality and all the other reasons that people like to live in cities. And so um, what was great was a major technology company was saying, this is the place with the capital and the energy that we want to build off of. And, you know, that's something that we should still really think long and hard about, about what our future is in terms of this. So I I think Vishal made some excellent points, which it would be no surprise that I agree with. And, (laughs) you know, what strikes me about what you said is, yes, the congestion and housing prices are totally signs of success of New York City doing well, right? But the attitude that we don't need 25,000 jobs is so cavalier and sort of self-assured about that New York City will continue to do well. And that's just not a given. It hasn't been a given throughout our history, and it's not going to be a given going forward, you know, especially as the as the economy continues to change and evolve. And to just cast something like that aside, I think, is, is, was, is and was a huge mistake. Um, and, you know, the concerns about the jobs, well, sure, we've been growing at a pretty rapid clip that is slowing down now. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those jobs have low-wage jobs, right. right? So sure, unionization in those sectors is important, okay? Um, but the truth is, this we don't know the mix. They wouldn't have all been coders. They wouldn't all have been minimum-wage jobs either. There would have been a healthy mix across the kind of like middle-class and upper-middle-class um, spectrum. And that that is really important for the economy and the economic base of the city and the revenues to the city and to the state to be able to support services. And I think that point has just gotten lost in this because the sense has been that the tax incentives were money was money coming out of the budget that could have been devoted to other items. And that is just not the case. Let me say that most people listening probably have a pretty good grasp of some of the details, but the top line aspect of, of the money involved that people seized on was $3 billion. 
$2.5 billion in tax incentives that were almost exclusively, I believe, performance-based. Sort of. Mostly right. performance-based yeah. and going to be returned to Amazon per revenue, mm-hmm. tax revenue coming in, not any type of cash handout or anything to come to New York. That's right. There was a $500 million capital grant on the table to help build the headquarters, largely it seems to offset the use of union labor in that construction, which apparently was a priority for uh, especially the governor negotiating the deal. So there were opponents of the deal mischaracterizing the $3 billion fairly regularly as money that could just be spent on other things when the vast majority of it was tax incentives only to be And I feel those people should be held accountable to cough up that money if they think that money exists right now, because it doesn't, and it was a fabrication. And, you know, I don't know whether people were being willfully ignorant or not, but it is it was an absurdity as part of this conversation. Were there things about the deal that you didn't like? Were, were there, were, um, well, I, I think, so, it, and the deal was public, right? So anyone could just, like, go online and look at the deal. I think there were commitments. And when we say deal, we should say there was a memorandum. Right, of there was a memorandum. It wasn't a legally binding yes. deal yet, but there were commitments that were being made, for instance, um, to Queensbridge houses, uh, and other outreach that I think could have been done with, like LaGuardia Community College. Those things, I don't think they were big enough. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were concrete enough. My office is doing the master plan for Sunnyside Yard, which is about a mile from where Amazon was going to go. There are a lot of infrastructure problems in Queens. There's, in addition to subway congestion, there's sewage issues. There's a lot of very serious stuff that I think could have been dealt with as part of this. I think the the city and the state's intention was to deal with those issues as part of this. Um, You know, part of what I find ironic about this is when I was Manhattan director after 9-11 and we were doing things like planning around the High Line and Columbia's expansion and so forth, all sorts of people would say to me, why why are you guys so focused on Manhattan? How come all the job creations in Manhattan, (laughs) right? You know, like, and like, why can't we get any of this in the other boroughs? And so here you had this huge opportunity to do exactly that. And with that has to come the infrastructure to support it. And I think that was not worked out yet in the deal. And, you know, I think it w- I think we would have gotten there. But I don't think there was air in the room because there was so much more heat than light in the mm. discussion. I mean, it seems apparent to me that, you know, Amazon made their selections and very quickly there was a press conference to announce it. And they didn't give enough thought and do enough planning for the rollout to talk about the issues that you just raised. Now, maybe as part of the MOU, they needed to have more concrete aspects of what you pointed to, maybe some bigger numbers um, on some of those some of those pieces. But the mayor, the governor, others were not really ready to talk in concrete terms about some of the investments in the area that were going to come. Yeah, I think there's a real lesson here about the rollout itself. And I think part of what happened with the rollout, to be fair to the people involved, because the rollout clearly could have been better. I think everyone agrees on that, opponents and, and, and um, proponents alike. The, I think it's important to understand the context. There was a national contest mm-hmm. that we won, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I mean, today I was listening to NPR this morning, and someone was talking about uh, Governor Northam in Virginia, and the reporter just casually said, and one of the achievements was winning the Amazon bid, and did, like just rolled over that sentence as if, 
you know, because that was the predicate, right? That that like it was and something it was that we it was a victory. <laughs> so people were taking a victory lap, and I don't think they understood the shark infested waters in which they were taking a victory lap. Um, now, Senator Mike Gennaris, one of the biggest critics, and who maybe really was the one who who undid it. Um, with support from Senate Majority Leader Andrew Stewart-Cousins, who was going to put him on this obscure state board, um, he said that the Virginia process was more transparent and inclusive. Is that something that, that came across your radar? That's not something I've looked at, but I saw in an interview that he said it was there were more stakeholders at the table. Well, I can't speak to that. I don't know what okay. the Virginia process was. I do know that a number of these local elected officials – turned on, you know, they had they had made an agreement that they were in support of this deal before they were, you know, they were, they were for was, it before they were against well, it. Well, they were interested in Amazon right? coming yeah. to the city. I mean, the idea that the deal happened under wraps, I mean, if you guys buy a house, do you really want a television camera in the room? I mean, like, deals happen with some level, I mean, I don't, I don't think a major economic development deal can happen, like, in full public gaze. I do think the deal was made public pretty quickly, and I think it was clear that it was a letter of intent and that it wasn't finalized, and there were things that... I mean, I think one of the things that could have been differently, and I really wonder about, having fought a lot of land use battles in this city, is the obscure public board you talk about at the Mm -hmm. state, the PACB, versus had they just agreed to gone through Euler? Mm. I mean, I... Euler, meaning the Uniform Land Use Review Procedure, the city process, which is a pretty understood process. And what, to me, it is a real hallmark of democracy because everyone comes out of it a little bit unhappy. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the sure sign that it's working, right? Um, The PACB is a dark kind of like Albany process that very few people participate in. So that could be another lesson that's drawn from this, that sometimes it's better to kind of take your hits in public, go through the process, let people vent, come out the other side somewhat intact. So, you know, if they had gone through ULIB, right, there's a certain, it's a long process, um, and there still wouldn't have been certainty on the other side, right, that the deal would have gone through. There's never certainty, but in my experience, there's a lot that's gone down in PACB Whereas with ULERP, things tend to get modified, but they, they, you know, there's some exceptions, but most of the time things come out intact. So was, what do you make of the issue here that Amazon just wasn't willing to keep negotiating? I mean, that, you know, the, the mayor's really, I mean, it's, I'll say some of the mayor's posturing is clearly disingenuous and cynical in terms of just quickly turning around and pointing the finger only at Amazon. As we said, there were problems with the rollout. He sort of tried to play both sides of this thing. We, we can go down that road another time or, or, or now if you want. But, um, you know, he's, he did make the point of Amazon decided to not really engage in a lot of back and forth here. Having worked with a lot of tech companies, what I find is tech companies have a kind of libertarian gestalt about them. Right, like they're, you know, especially the people who run them. There's a, you know, they're they're a bunch of smart people. Usually they're men. They're usually like in their 30s from Ivy League universities, and they tend to think that the world will be just fine if you just get out of their get way and let way, them right. do their stuff. And that's why a lot of that was born. That famous sort of Hewlett Packard garage. A lot of that stuff was born kind of in that office park environment. I think we're seeing a lot of different examples where when technology has to interact with big cities, whether you look at the rollout of autonomous vehicles, you look at, there's a number of examples you can look at out there where when you have to deal with the hotbeds of democracy that cities are, 
that the tech companies struggle. They don't like that kind of scrutiny. They don't like regulation. No companies do. Um, so I am surprised at uh, how quickly there was a turnaround. The other thing that I think a lot of our friends from the West Coast, from Seattle and, and San Francisco, were saying, watch out. You know, we've had a lot of rough experiences with these kinds of folks. I, I think part of maybe what became clear is that it's hard to push a city like New York around. We are not a one or two horse town. And I think people feel like with a lot of confidence that they can say to companies X, Y, and Z are unacceptable. And that's something that a lot of companies aren't used to. Um, and so, you know, what I'm hoping is over time people will say, well, yeah, we've got to deal with that in New York City, but it's worth it because the talent base is there and the energy is there. I'm not suggesting we should be somehow radically different in the face of that. But I also think it's – I mean, Maria and I were, did work on the competitiveness committee for the Citizens Budget Commission. And we, you know, we cannot believe that we can pass any policy we want, we can do whatever we want, and that we're totally inelastic to where people, you know, place jobs. And we're losing jobs – to the Washington, D.C. metro area and to Boulder and to Austin. And now with the GOP tax cut, it severely advantages red states. And so, you know, we do have to be careful and figure out how do we maintain our values as a city while still remaining competitive in the face of what's going on nationally. How are you thinking about the competitiveness angle of this in the wake of what happened? I mean, it seems on one hand that they want. They really wanted to come to New York City because of so many of the things that are that are here. Um, led off, of course, by the talent that Vishan mentioned, but but also they weren't so needing to come here that they weren't willing to walk away. Right, and it doesn't mean that they won't expand. They already have a presence here. Right. And they might expand it more, you know, slowly or over time. Um, what we won't get is the big headquarters, right? We won't get the development occurring right in Long Island City, and we won't get the sort of boost to, you know, doing... For a long time, as Vishan said, it was, the sense was, well, we need we can't have everybody in Manhattan. We need to have a five borough plan and to develop the areas outside of the city, outside the central business district. And so now this is a hit to that, right? It would have been a big boost, and it's a hit and a minor setback to that. And you know, as Vishan wrote in his op-ed um, in BuzzFeed, you know, if if what. So the, the the headquarters won't happen, and so what will go up in its place? Right. So it we're going to get more housing. The, the, right. The, the perennial problem. Maybe. <laughs> the pro the problem we have in the city is the housing market is stronger than any other part of the real estate market. And so, you know, so yes, now we have new provisions for certain percentages for affordability, and there's all sorts of debates about that that we don't need to go into. But the point is, most of the site that Amazon was going to occupy is going to predominantly end up being luxury housing. And so for the folks who are so concerned about Amazon, they are getting exactly kind of what they didn't want, which is kind of more gentrification. You know, yeah, some portion will be a affordable housing, but I don't think that is the right ongoing policy. The other thing is in terms of the infrastructure concerns, the subway congestion is all the inbound commutation into Manhattan. There's plenty of capacity. I've been on the 7 train in the reverse commute, and there's plenty of room there. So putting more jobs in the outer boroughs will help with our subway problem. And it means more people can bike and walk to work from the outer boroughs as opposed to having to come into Manhattan. So it's like bringing Mohammed to the mountain, right? Like, so you got to... 
that that's why it's so important to have job creation. And I think at a larger level, and you know, like this got so politicized so quickly. Like anyone who is even conditionally in support of Amazon was a right winger. Like right. I, I don't know how our politics became so extremist, but like I've been a lifelong progressive. Progressives have to figure out how to be pro-growth, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean accept every form mm-hmm. of growth. Yeah, and he has look, and Not- they've been struggling on housing, right? But like. I think we're in a difficult situation. Like, people are talking about the Green New Deal, for instance. If that isn't a pro-growth policy, I don't know what is, right? And yet, are people really, the people who are talking about that, do they really understand the impacts of that on the ground? Like, how would you think about the Amazon deal through the Green New Deal? And someone on one of the Sunday talk shows said, well, the Amazon deal would would be on steroids under the Green New Deal. So, like... You know, I really think politically we need to have a different way to talk about these kinds of things. And, you know, the limits to competitiveness in the city are, I mean, it is getting to be the price of rent and housing, and and it's getting to be the stresses on the subway system, which require not more investment only to sort of repair and perhaps thinking strategically about how to expand that network, but also the flows of people within, right, which, again, goes back to the importance of developing the outer boroughs. But the other part of this is, you know, we have to think, the council especially, I think, is in this posture of, well, and perhaps the news, the new um, state assembly about, you know, the regulations we place on business. And I think that's important, and New Yorkers have a set of values, and those are important to abide by, but you have to also be cognizant of the stresses placed, particularly on small businesses, I think, as you go forward and do this, um, and the regulations that are involved in things like the construction industry and how we choose to build. And so prevailing wages now become a hot topic, right? But so there's a tension there between saying, how are you going to build and the cost of doing that and building as many units as possible because that is what we need in the city if you're really going to make a dent in the affordability crisis. And, and even that aspect of the Amazon deal that was what I mentioned earlier, this capital grant to, to seemingly offset mm-hmm. the construction union labor right. was not broadcast as such. And maybe they had some misgivings because of the other aspects of the of the labor controversy, but... And I'm sure the construction unions didn't really want it out there that they were, you know, that there was government money or that it was more expensive to build union, which I believe in, right? But like it, it you know, it's a tricky It's complicated, thing. But yes. I think the larger political overlay here is we've got an occupant in the White House that's upset a lot of people. And so what's happening is, whether it's at the council or wherever else... People are trying to correct what they're seeing happening nationally at the local level. And to me, that there, there are tremendous pitfalls to doing that, right, in terms of how, like, take taxation. I, I actually think taxes at a federal level should be much higher for wealthier people. But I don't think they should be higher at a local level because it really, really, again, hurts us vis-a-vis red states versus, you know, the GOP tax plan. You know, the governor called it economic civil war, and I think he was right about that. You know, this was about shifting a power center to Texas. And like, we ignore that at our peril. And so this idea that we're going to like, fix a lot of the crazy stuff that we see happening nationally, only at the local level, whereas that might make us feel good in some way, it's not the smart thing to do. On that, on on sort of one element of that, in this this aspect of fighting something and feeling good, um, there was sort of this moral argument involved here. I'm interested in where either or both of you come in on this, that Amazon's practices and Amazon's corporate culture, and you hit on a little bit of this before, um, 
you know, are so uh, flagrant at this point that they needed to be handed a defeat and that other states and cities need to now, you know, get on board with that message so that their larger business practices are changed, one, and two, that this was a fight against the type of competition that Amazon set up to pit cities and states against each other, and that this is a message that you, you know, you can't do that to New York. I, I mean, on the second point, like, these kinds of nationwide competitions are illegal in a number of countries, and I do think that that is worthy of a lot of scrutiny, and we should think about whether it makes sense for a company to be able to have this race to the bottom around the country. On the first point, though, in terms of Amazon's labor practices and everything else, about which I only know partial things, and I've read some things here and there, my question to all the people raising those issues is, compared to what? And what industries are they ready to kick out of New York City that have those labor practices today that they're not talking about? And what is our, you know, I mean, like, did someone, ever, did everyone suddenly wake up and realize that New York was actually a city that was about commerce, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I don't like a lot of these labor practices either, but like, are what companies, based on those standards, are we going to tell to exit New York City? And that's the piece that I don't understand. Well, and it's a very important, I think, point in response to, to some of those oppositional forces, which was the point the mayor and some of the proponents were making was where's a better how do you better influence amazon's culture by bringing them into new york city exactly. and trying to push mm-hmm. them and i in, totally agree with that point uh, Bring it's a fascinating in. discussion I mean, well to that point you know people kept saying well google and facebook aren't getting these i mean so google and facebook are the good guys all of a sudden right. in this conversation which you know if you read other stuff about facebook maybe not so much right so like But I do think that there is absolute credence to the idea that if you bring them in under certain conditions and have caveats put upon them, they stop getting less libertarian over time and they start understanding part of the society. Once that campus goes up, it's not coming down anytime. Exactly. And that the people who work for them now aren't out in office parks somewhere. They're actually living in places like Brooklyn and Queens and maybe bringing some of that culture back to the organization and the organization changes as a consequence of where it is. That's a legitimate argument. I think we're overselling our power if we think that we're going to change Amazon's labor practices nationwide or the fate of private sector unions across the country, um, because we are very much the exception in terms of the strength of unions, um, New York and a few places. And, you know, uh, if you think this is a victory for unions now, I don't don't know what to say. Well, that was the Hector Figueroa of 32BJ argument where he said... He's absolutely right. Do you, you... as you just said, Maria, do you think Amazon's going to go somewhere else and all of a sudden unionize? I mean, the chance to to get more Amazon employees into unions was in New York City. And as you said, Vishan, you know, there was a, also a disingenuous argument at times about how many of these employees were really going to be the types that are ever in unions at well, all. And again, Mike, you know, just going back to the original point about downturns, one of my concerns, and I don't want to impugn anyone's motives, is that like some of the critics... Are these people who lose their jobs in downturns? If like if you're in academia, if you're in a think tank and you're like like what we really have to understand is when there's a significant downturn in this city, it's the lowest income, it's the service economy that gets hit the hardest, right? And it's those folks that I don't think there's a significant political voice for right now, including newcomers who aren't even here yet. And like that to me is the issue. It's just like th- this isn't an abstraction for an awful lot of people. 
Say a little bit more, or go ahead with whatever you're going to say, but I also was going to ask you, Maria, to just say a little bit more about how you, CBC, is thinking about the tax incentive programs that were involved here and what we should be thinking about moving forward. Right. Well, so that that's where I was going to say, you know, it, we've sort of tackled the dimensions of where the opposition was on this deal. And so it seems that one fruitful area where there could actually be discussion and a change in the dynamic is to evaluate the tax incentives. So obviously, this is an area where CBC has been very active. And we just published a report that said that documents that there's almost $10 billion in expending and tax incentives given to companies across New York State at the state and local level. And there's very little information in terms of what we get back from that and some very notable and public high-profile failures where the practice, particularly at the state level, has been to build a factory for Tesla and not see those investments pan out or bring back the return to taxpayers. So, you know, it's an area, and at the local level, I think, you know, there are these tax expenditures that have been on the books, like REAP. Um, like ICAP for a long time that are not regularly evaluated and that, to be quite frank, I think in other contexts, elected officials are only too happy to have them when it brings a smaller scale business to the area that they can then have a press release around and tout as, as an advance. Um, so and the and question, just quickly, I'll mention that at the tax incentives involved were not created for Amazon, no, right? No, that, at the that local gets level, to the heart of what you're talking they've about. been in statute for a long time, and they're available to anyone who creates, um, or, you know, an enterprise or jobs around whatever the statutory um, uh, guidelines are, including this outer borough development, right? So. The council, Jalissa Ferrer is the former council finance chief, you know, said, you know, we've got to be evaluating these things and put a process in place. And so they've been doing a little bit of that through the IBO. And the question is, do they get more aggressive and make this part of city council oversight of government to say, we are going to be looking at these things. We want data. We want to assess it. We will be more active monitors now and advocates for what these tax expenditures should look like. You know, at the state level, I think in terms of the structure of the incentive deal, the capital subsidy grant is the part that I think you can pick at most easily as something that was unnecessary in this deal if you were going to talk about it being too expensive. But the Excelsior program, I mean, that is really performance-based. That is saying if you don't create the jobs, you will not get the benefit, and the benefit is tied directly to the salary level of the job created. So to the extent you're creating programs that have clear metrics and that you know you will get something for, that is an example of a good design of a program. And part of this discussion was that the tax incentives were a small percentage of the revenue expected to be generated that the state and the city could use for the types of services and investments that that people are Mm, calling for. Right. Again, this is a piece of the rollout that was pretty poorly uh, done in terms of talking about here's the revenue we expect and here's how we're going to use it. That could have been much better done, in my opinion. Um, So we're in our last last few minutes here, um, Vishan. A couple other thoughts in terms of where we need to go. Uh, does New York need to rethink certain things? Uh, you've talked a bit about you know, what opponents to this deal should have been thinking about um, and should now be, be considering. Are there other things? You know, how do we sort of set the stage? Amazon's not coming. We want companies to invest, expand in New York. What are some things that, that people should be thinking? Well, 
there was a, a, a very good piece in the New York Times today from a professor from that right-wing think tank, the University of California at Berkeley, <laughs> um, that talked about agglomeration effects and talked about the fact that this wasn't just about Amazon, but about all of the other kinds of companies that would grow in the ecosystem around it. Absent this now, we need to think, look, we since World War II have been trying to figure out how to diversify from a Wall Street-based economy. I think, especially under the Bloomberg administration, we did a lot of that and, and actively tried to get a lot of other types of jobs, not just technology, but tourism, other things that, that diversified the city's economy. The city has to continue to grow towards newer economic models, you know, and, and that's what this was a potential of. What I'm very worried about is forget Amazon. I'm worried about the signal that this sent internationally right, about who we are and who we want to be in the future. Because what we have to have to come to terms with is we are not going to raise taxes out of the problems we have in terms of the subway system, NYCHA, our parks, our schools. We have to grow. And so, like, all right, we can have a debate about what kind of growth, whether it's right to have these tax incentive programs. Um, you know, there was a similar, it was not as heated, but I remember when there was talk of Stanford coming here and people also, well, is that going to be this lead institution, et cetera, et cetera. That would have been extraordinary for New York City. And so that's something we need to keep pushing on that front to have more institutions, to have just a diversity of who employs us. And, um, you know, so this was a lost opportunity, but hopefully we can look at it and say, well, we need to do better next time. Let me just ask you one other quick thought. How do you think about companies like Amazon right now? You know, people think, oh, Amazon is a lot of just, you know, this e-tailer, you know, this this online place where I can order a bunch of stuff and get it delivered. But that's not really only by any means what Amazon is. And Amazon's not the only big big tech company. But how are you sort of thinking about these large companies or even some of the smaller ones and where cities, especially New York, are headed and, and what people need to sort of understand about their presence? Um, you know, I run a small business. I employ 30 people. This is a very expensive city to do business in. I love it here, but I think if you talk to most small business owners, they'll tell you a couple of things. One, it's really, really hard to run a business. Two, Small business doesn't do just work with small business. They work with big business. It's an ecosystem, right? And whether that's an architecture firm or a barber or a pizza shop, everyone works with everyone else. And so when this kind of stuff happens, it's it's really alarming because you you just worry fundamentally about like the overall employment base for small businesses and large. Um, and I, I just think that like, the amount of negativity here, I don't sense that negativity at all in really anywhere else in the country at this level other than maybe San Francisco and a portion of Seattle. And like those cities can't just – they can't afford to just say, well, we're going to stay the way we are. We're going to keep our strength regardless of what happens here. So, right, and there's, there's also – we didn't quite get into it, but there's also the interesting part of the discussion about how – you know, New York City, there's no city like New York City in terms of what New York City can absorb and do. And, you know, that Amazon wouldn't necessarily have been just a drop in the bucket, but it wouldn't have been just New York City is now an Amazon city. No. Right? And that, that's That was the strength element. of it, actually. <laughs> the idea is, because we're not a, like I said, we're not a one-horse town. 
Okay, we're uh, gonna wrap it up okay. there. Vishan Chakrabarty, thank you very much for your time. Folks should read um, at least a couple of the things that Vishan has written on Amazon uh, while the deal was uh, being debated and then in the aftermath. Um, we thank you for the time and we will continue to be discussing uh, New York's competitiveness and where we head from here. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 